0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to worship, uh, no matter the context, no matter the environment, no matter the setting, um, to think that we live in a time in an era where we get to worship you not on a particular place, in a particular arena, a particular temple, God, but in spirit and in truth. And that's what we long for. God, we long for your spirit. God, that it would stir us and awaken us and move within us wherever we are in this moment. And God, that it would open our hearts, our souls, and our minds to truth. And that's the truth that we want to build our lives upon. That's the truth that gives us reason to sing and to find joy and to find purpose, no matter what it is that we face. And so we long for that truth to come in once again. God, as we open up these scriptures, as we open up your word, we ask God that once again we would see the truth as you desire it to be seen. Only, Father, through the power of your spirit. We love you, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, It's good to see everyone, uh, even online and virtually. I hope you all are having a wonderful Sunday morning. hope you've had a great weekend. Um, I'm curious How are you filling the time with all this stay-at-home restrictions? Uh, I know for me, yesterday, uh, we were uh, trying to get a little bit more creative. We made a fort in our house, and by fort, I mean, you know, the the thing where you get the blankets and the sheets, and you kind of do this, you know, uh, piecemeal construction inside your home. And I'll tell you, it was probably one of the largest forts that I've ever constructed in that sort of Uh, Manor. It was a three bedroom fort, to be honest. We took up the entire Uh, play area of the kids in this little upper room in our in our home and we had sections and divisions and all this other stuff and it was a it was pretty fun it entertained the kids for most of the day and it was kind of one of the latest examples of the different ways that I think many of us are trying to figure out how are we creative uh, in terms of limited opportunities you know when we can't go as many places and do as many things how are we entertaining ourselves how are we finding uh, a sense of joy and excitement another example uh, that I came across about a week or so ago. My mom actually sent me this one that I think a neighborhood in my hometown was doing uh, was a lot of these neighbors were taking stuffed animals and and typically teddy bears and putting them up in their windows so that when people were going on walks, uh, the young ones, the young kids could hunt for the bears and count how many bears they saw in these different windows. And so they'd go out for these walks and call it going on a bear hunt. And it's just it's just another creative way that people are trying to find Uh, ways to pass the time but also be positive and encouraging. It's really been somewhat entertaining and in some ways encouraging to see all these different examples. I even saw a video recently of somebody that had constructed all these gummy bears uh, in the arrangement of an Adele concert and, and put it online and i just i laughed for so long after seeing that and so i 'm curious if you come up with any creative ways to pass the time and, and what it is that you 're doing, maybe you can share some of that on our comments today but what it what it reminds me of is this kind of instinctive desire that so many of us need. Uh, whenever we go through something that's challenging, whenever we go through something that's difficult, is we want to find something positive, right? It, it, to me, reminds me of uh, when I was younger, and even really still to this day, if I ever watch a movie that is uh, disheartening or discouraging or depressing or scary, even if I liked it, even if it was a good movie, I, I have to watch something else before I go to bed. Right. And it's typically I, I find a show that's lighthearted and encouraging or that's going to make me laugh. I kind of want to I want to find something else to think about rather than that, which is kind of heavy. And I kind of sense that that's what we're all trying to do right now as a society. And, it, and it's been effective in a lot of ways. But there's no doubt we have the discouraging news. We, we have the disheartening news with this pandemic and with later or, or current and common headlines on what the latest statistics are and the latest concerns are. And every once in a while, we, we have to just stop and go, man, I gotta find something else, right? I gotta take my mind off this. I gotta find something that's, that will make me laugh and be encouraging and be exciting. And it's really remarkable the different ways that people are figuring out how to do that. And it's, it's a reminder that when we go through something hard, we, we search for, almost instinctively, some message of positivity, right? Some message of hope and encouragement. Now, the other thing that I, I've noticed in the human experience, not just in the recent days, uh, although these recent days have created a challenge to this other instinctive desire that I think we have, is that it's not just that we want to find a message of hope, but we want togetherness. I know when I was younger and, and I saw a, a scary movie or something that frightened me, I could be fine throughout most of the day, right, because I was around people. But as soon as I went to bed that night and I got in my room and the lights went off, a lot of times my eyes went wide, right, and all that fear kind of came racing back and all those thoughts and all that discouragement kind of came flooding back into my mind because I was alone. And so as a young kid, and I've seen this not in my own childhood, but even with my children today, when when we have those discouraging, disturbing thoughts, what do we do? We 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 say, well I want to be with somebody. So they'll they'll come into mom and dad's room. Can I sleep in here tonight? Or they'll find another reason to come up and talk to us or hey can you come in and sing me a song? And it's not so much that that they're looking just for that message, but they want that sense of togetherness. There's something about being together that helps us get through these trials and these challenges and these obstacles. And that's really kind of the focus of today's text, is an opportunity for us to remind each other, what is this message that gives us hope? And how does it call us into a beautiful sense of togetherness. There are times and seasons in life, much like the one that we're facing, where the brokenness of this world seems to be tightening its grip on us and, and threatening our very sense of existence. And when that happens, right, be it a, a pandemic, be it depression, be it economic collapse, whatever it is, when we feel that sense of brokenness begin to threaten our existence, our instinctive kind of fight or flight reaction is this frantic response where we're often trying to do things on our own. And the way in which we course correct through that and really survive and not just survive but thrive through those challenges is when we find that message as an anchor and we embrace it together. That, that's what we need is, is a reminder today that even in the midst of this social distancing, and in, in these limitations on how we can gather together, the reality is, is that we are still together. And, and in some ways, this challenge is awakening us to the beauty of this message and how that message of hope, how that message can really foster togetherness in such a powerful way. And so that's what we're going to have a chance to rediscover this morning, a message of peace that brings us together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians Chapter 2, and we're going to continue through this series that we started a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that I want to remind you of as we begin today is something that I referenced in our prayer service on Wednesday, our online prayer service on Wednesday, is when, when we have this unique situation where we're not able to gather as much as we're accustomed to. Uh, how God's word is playing such a significant role in your life. I want you to be really evaluating your own ability in your own small circle of community, be that your family, your friends, your peers, your loved ones, how you are clinging to God's word and how you're allowing it to be an anchor. What we talked about on Wednesday is this moment in Deuteronomy chapter 32 where Moses is getting ready to transition this leadership to Joshua. And he, and he reminds the people, he reminds Joshua of all the things that they need to be concerned about, all these warnings that they should should kind of move away from or forget these laws and forget these commands. And so Moses, with this urging, he says, these are not just idle words. They are your life. And, and that's what they need to be for us, right? We need to allow this scripture to not be seen as if they're just some idle words that we can consider and visit from time to time. They are the source of our life. So when we open God's word, when you do this on your own, when you do this collectively, to have that opportunity for it to breathe life into you, to think through, how is this teaching me more about who God is? How is this awakening my understanding to who I am and, and humanity? What, what are we supposed to do with this truth? How should it impact my life? Those are important questions that we always need to be asking no matter what it is that we're reading. So I hope you're doing that on a regular and consistent basis, regardless of what we're doing collectively as a church. But today we'll have an opportunity to once again see just how life giving these words are. And so we're going to be picking up <clears throat> in, in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, reading through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, I love this passage in the way that it kind of continues this contrast that was introduced to us last week, right? This, this contrast between the then and the now, right? L- last week we saw how so many different things had changed for those who were in Christ Jesus, and that sort of contrast, and this is who you were, but now this is who you are, is the same flow and the same uh, feeling of this passage that we've read today. and And we should be able to empathize with that a little bit with our own kind of current reality in this current situation because it feels like life a month ago is in such a stark contrast to what it is now, right? We, we can kind of feel this whole then and now tension with how we're living life. I mean, it still blows my mind almost on a daily basis that I'm, I'm wiping down groceries or I'm seeing friends in the street and resisting the urge to go shake a hand and give a hug but having to maintain distance and, and yelling at my children to stay on other sides of the street, like it, it's so mind-blowing at times to think, man, just, just a while ago, we had have to worry about any of that. The contrast is so different between the then and the now. Now, in our situation, we're, we're focused in many ways on that which has been lost, right? The, the things that, that used to be that we no longer get to do. The difference in this passage is that it's not a focus on what has been lost, but what has been gained, right? But the contrast is just is stark it's just as uh, pronounced as what we're experiencing today this is who you were and now you are totally different okay so I want us to keep that contrast in mind as we read through and study this passage and, and it again it connects us with what we talked about last week the the opening word here is therefore right Paul is making a continuation of this argument so so last week we talked about this this shift this contrast between the then and now you were dead Deserving of wrath, but now you've been made alive. You've been raised up with Christ. You've been seated with Him in the heavenly realms, and God has works that He has prepared in advance for you to do. Right? So it's in that same line of thinking that we move into this passage. That the subtle difference is is that last week we saw what this, this miracle of Jesus did for us personally and what it did for our own souls, what it did for us as individuals, today we get to see what it does for us corporately, what it does for us in terms of a community, right? And so the first thing that Paul does in this passage is he kind of introduces the players, right, the the two notable groups. Uh, He refers to them as the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and we've talked about this before, that that is a reference that really drives us back to the covenant, right? It takes us all the way back to the to the promises of old that you see in the days of Abraham. That was a sacred act. And, and those who got to experience that act were brought into the covenant of God. They were brought into this promise of being his people. And so what we see here is that this is really strong insider-outsider language. Right? Essentially, you had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. Right? God's chosen people and, and those who were not chosen, so to speak. And, and so you have this very drastic language that Paul is reminding them of that, that, listen, you were a foreigner. You were excluded. You were a stranger. You, you were a foreigner. You were an alien. You, you were separate from all these things. That's what you were. Uh, uh, some of those terms really drive home the point. Uh, one of the words that you have in there is xenoi, which is kind of where we get the word xeno, if you've heard that word, xenophobia. Lately in this this sense of us versus them, it it comes from this Greek word that we find here. And in this context, that zenoi actually kind of meant to to those who were foreigners, those who were strangers that were transient in nature, right? They were passing through, but as you watched them pass through, you knew they didn't really belong. The, The other word that's being used here for foreigner and stranger is more of a resident person who is actually Habiting or inhabiting the same area, the same city, the same dwelling, but they don't have the same rights. Right? They, they may be able to stay there because they paid a tax or they have some sort of connection, but they don't have the intrinsic rights that the other people did. And so it is in, in a, a very elaborate and very specific course of terminology, several terms that are saying this is this, these are the outsiders, these are the insiders. Right? The, these folks have been excluded these these folks haven't and that's what Paul is trying to awaken us to so let me just connect it to us when we think about Jew and Gentile J- Jews saw Gentiles as anyone that didn't belong to them so that's you and me and so Paul is writing to Gentile believers folks that didn't have this history didn't have an understanding of, of this God and this narrative and so Paul's reminding them here's where you were you were foreigners you were aliens you were strange you were excluded you were separate now, excluded and separate from what? He, he tells us very directly, excluded and separate foreigners, aliens, to the covenant of the promise, right? Now, this is where we get a reminder of what it was exactly that God was trying to establish, right? He had a promise for these people. What was that promise specifically? If we, if we try to just simplify it, it was ultimately a promise of his presence, right? That he would be with them. Right? He was going to call unto himself a people of his own. He would be with them. He would be their God. He would bless them. That was the covenant of the promise. And so the net result was to be excluded, to be a foreigner and a stranger from this covenant, from this promise, ultimately meant, as what Paul said, you were without God and without hope. Is that you? Is that how it feels in this season? without God, without hope. It's interesting how interconnected those two thoughts really are. Have you ever noticed that it's those times that, that we sense that we're hopeless, right? That it's very discouraging, that a lot of times it's in those seasons that it's that much harder to see God. Or vice versa, that a lot of times we go through things uh, where God feels distant, he he feels remote, we, we can't get a sense of him, and it's in those seasons that hope so quickly dissolves. And Paul's point is that's where you were. That that was the initial condition. And so if you and I go through any season, be it today or in the future in the past, and we have those moments where we feel distant, where we feel set apart, where we feel excluded from God's presence, and it feels as if we are without God and we're without hope, we need to rush back to this passage and remember that Paul's point here is that's who you were, it's not who you are now. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Once again, everything in Ephesians is gospel-centric. It takes us right to the cross. It takes us right to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the point for us is that when we look at a passage like this, we are to remind ourselves that our hope is not in some health. It's not in some uh, financial relief. Our hope is not in some legislation, not in some government. No, our hope is purely and solely in the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. Because it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that this separation, this exclusion is done with and we are actually brought near. And so what Paul is beginning to tease here and point to is this message of peace. In fact, he's actually kind of evoking these these Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah. I want to read to you a couple of them that kind of speak to this hope, and this anticipation of peace. In Isaiah 52, 7, we see this this verse that many of you may be familiar with. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God And so there's this anticipation of of a message, of a proclamation of peace that that we should be waiting for. And Isaiah builds on that imagery. And he gets to Isaiah 57, verse 19. and, And here's the context around it. It says, this is the Lord speaking. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Paul is bringing in that sense of prophecy, that the peace that we have in Jesus Christ are for those who were far and near. So this is what you were, but because of the peace that we have with God, you have now been brought near. And so what we get a chance to look at from the continuation of this passage is how that peace begins to work itself out. And we see it work itself out in two very distinct ways. The first way that Paul really describes is a peace that we get to experience with each other, right? So he says, listen, uh, God has, he himself, he is this peace and he is making the two one, bringing two groups into one, uh, destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." Right, there was this barrier, there was this, this division, this hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile that, that we can relate to today because we still see hostility that exists between peoples of different race, different religions, different creeds, all these different things. Right? That hostility often exists in our environment and in our world, and it was incredibly pronounced at this point in time between Jew and Gentile, a massive barrier between the two. And what Paul is saying is that that barrier, that dividing wall has been destroyed. It's been removed. Now that distance, that separation, there's going to be peace among the two groups. Now what exactly is this dividing wall, this barrier that has been destroyed? It's, it's a pretty interesting discussion because essentially what Paul is pointing to is the law, right, the law that was given to Moses. Now now think about how this works, okay, and, and how this ended up creating such division, Because if you go back and read through the law and all of its commands and all of its requirements, God wanted his people to be holy. He wanted them to be set apart. He wanted them to live differently, to worship him, to conduct their lives differently. And that's how they were kind of revealed to the nations surrounding them that they belonged to him. And so within those instructions, within those commands, were a lot of instructions related to not affiliating with the Gentiles and, and how you eat, not intermarrying. And so over time, because of those restrictions and because of those guidelines, the Jews grew with this disdain towards the Gentiles, right? They they had this sense of superiority over the Gentiles to the point that they even looked at them as if they were less than human. Now think about how, how atrocious and how terrible of a mindset that really is to get to a point where you look at someone else as being less than human right, to, to consider another image bearer, right, somebody else created in the image of God as being less than, that, that's what had happened with the Jews' view of the Gentiles, and it created tremendous hostility, and it works both ways, because once they started treating the Gentiles that way, well, then the Gentiles reciprocated with a similar hostility, right, when they saw their, their hate, when they saw their in-hospi- uh, inhospitality, they began to respond with a similar prejudice with a similar disdain, and it created tremendous tension and division. Much, much more pronounced than anything that we probably even experience today. And it was a result of that law. And so what Paul is saying is, is that that Christ has destroyed that hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and the commandments. Now, What does he mean by this? I want to make sure that we're clear on this. And the reality is, is that Paul doesn't elaborate on it in great detail here in his letter to Ephesians, Uh, but he does in his letter to the Romans, okay? And it it kind of creates this, this question. Part of what I don't want us to lose sight of is that Jesus destroyed the hostility. He didn't destroy the law. He set aside the law. But if you think about how Jesus says, even in the Gospels, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, we get a similar explanation from Paul in his letter to the Romans of how this works. And so let me just quickly reference for you a couple important points of context to make sure we understand what's exactly taking place here. In Romans chapter three, starting in verse 28, here's what Paul says. He says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith. Apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So what Paul is saying here is that, listen, this is not about your ability to adhere to the law. This is about your faith in the God who saves. This is about your faith in Jesus Christ because there's one God, both of Jew and Gentile, and it's the same faith that's going to bring them near, right? So we don't need to worry about this division, and this hostility. He continues to explain in chapter 7. So, my brothers and sisters, you who also died to the law through the body of Christ— that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Right, so that, that's what's happening. The law is not being destroyed. that You're being set free from its uh, ceremonies, its regulations, while still preserving its ethical integrity and demands by seeing that what really brings us together is faith in God and life by the Spirit rather than some moral written code. Right? And so, so Jesus on the cross fulfills all the law, sets it aside, and as a result, we now have this avenue of peace that brings us together. It creates this unbelievable togetherness. In fact, Paul describes it as a new humanity. It's incredible, right? This is what, what God consistently does through Jesus. He makes the old new at the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, I'm making all things new. And in this, he is making a new humanity. So, so let's make sure we understand. It's not like he's grafting one group into the other. Right? This isn't a statement that says, okay, Gentiles, you can now become Jewish. Or, or Jews, you don't have to worry so much about these regulations and restrictions. You can kind of do some of the things that Gentiles do. It's, it's altogether something different. Uh, Christusim has this great quote that says, I'm paraphrasing it, but basically it's, it's as if God is saying, I'm going to take this statue of silver and melt it down, and this statue of lead, and melt it down and create a statue of gold, right? The, the new humanity is so much greater than either one currently experienced. What he is talking about is the church. He is talking about this mind-blowing togetherness that overcomes any division that we may experience in this life. You know, it's something that I think in many ways, I hope we are becoming uh, mindful of in the midst of our current disruption and crisis, right? That, that in reality, there's this equalizing that's taking place as a result of this pandemic. I mean, think about all the different ways that we divide ourselves in life, right? We, we divide ourselves by country, by nationality, by language, by race, by skin color, by um, socioeconomic status, rich, poor, old, young, male. We have all these different ways that we divide ourselves and, and create these potential barriers. And this virus doesn't care about any of them. Not a single one. In fact, it is so worldwide. It's because of our togetherness. It's because of our sameness that we're all at risk. Right? This, In some ways, this, this trial, this circumstance should open our eyes to just how similar we really are and just how interconnected and together we really are. And if we truly see that, some good things can happen. I've been reminded on several occasions over the last several weeks on this book that I read this summer called Tribe that was written by Sebastian Younger. And he talks about how people come together and form community. He looks at it through a lot of different lenses of, of history and whatnot. And In a section of his book, he really focuses on these moments of crisis. And, and I've referenced this book to you before. He, he focuses in on these moments of crisis and how it creates this awareness of, of being together that's in really pretty powerful. Let me, let me read to you a couple of quotes that he offers in his book that kind of summarizes what can take place in the midst of these crises. He says at one point, what catastrophe seem to do, sometimes in the span of a few minutes, is turn back the clock on 10,000 years of social evolution. Self-interest gets subsumed into group interest because there is no survival outside of group survival. And that creates a social bond that many people sorely miss. So think about it, right? Part of what we're facing is an awareness of, you have to make choices now Based on what's good for the group, right? As much as this social distancing is difficult and in some ways creates isolation, you're doing it to protect the group. You're doing it not just for your own self-interest, but for this group that, that is so intimately connected because we are so similar. It is such an equalizing experience right now that hopefully is giving rise to a greater understanding in our own hearts and minds of these social bonds that are so necessary to a rich and meaningful life. And when we see the beauty of those bonds, even when we face crisis, even when we face catastrophe, something beautiful emerges. In the same chapter, he interviews a prominent uh, journalist in Sarajevo who was uh, there during their own personal civil war and breakouts and, and things that they were facing. And in this journalist, she had undergone a significant injury, had caught shrapnel in her leg as a result of a bomb going off in her own town nearby her place of living. In, in, in her community, in their apartment complex, they, they had so limited resources, they had to share everything with each other. They, they planted a community garden, and they had to share resources, and they would actually have to sleep in the basement underground their apartment complex with mattresses lined up next to each other because it was the only reliable bomb shelter that they had uh, available to them. I mean, it, it, you hear what they had to go through, and it doesn't sound like the sort of life that many people would aspire to. And yet as he was talking to her, he sensed this nostalgic feeling that she had about those days and about those moments. And and he began to ask her about that and if she missed it in any way. And here's what she said. She said, I miss being loved in that way. We experience the basic human instinct to help another human being who is sitting or standing or lying close to you. Younger asked her if people had ultimately been happier during the war, and she said we were the happiest and we laughed more because of this sense of togetherness that took place. And in some way, I hope that that's something gonna be, that we're going to be able to say of our stories and our testimonies that, yes, this pandemic is not anything that any of us desired, but because it's awakening us, awakening us to our own sense of togetherness, It's creating this instinctive desire to love one another, to care for the group, and to go and and make sure those needs are met. And because of that, it is an encouraging opportunity. It is a hopeful experience that allows us to find a level of happiness and joy that maybe before, with all those luxuries and comforts, we never really experienced. That's my hope. But here's the message, is that we don't need a pandemic to experience that because all of that has been accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. That should be the mark of the church. The implications of this text, is that regardless of what season any society is going through, believers, brothers and sisters, should be able to gather together regardless of race, regardless of income, regardless of prestige, regardless of any sort of status, and find this common love of social bonds and the way in which they care for one another. That's the mark of the church. The mark of the church is one of true peace with one another. And I want to encourage you Today, that even though we have to meet virtually, even though we have to have this social distancing, it is a reminder that you and I are intimately connected in Christ and nothing will change that. And one of the greatest examples of the gospel is to be a church that when people look in on it, they say, Man, no, that doesn't make sense. Those folks don't normally interact. They don't normally find a common ground with each other. But what what is that common ground? And it points to the gospel of peace. It accomplishes this peace with one another, but it also accomplishes a peace with God himself. Because Paul continues that, that this peace actually reconciles both groups, Jew and Gentile, though in the beginning Jews seemed to have a more privileged seat They, too, had some sort of enmity, hostility with God. As as Paul has already said earlier in his letter to Ephesus here, he says we were by nature deserving of wrath, right? There was a a distance, a separation. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. And so this peace wasn't just, hey, you're going to be able to get along with one another. This peace was that you have now been reconciled to God, right? That idea of reconciliation is a picture of restoration, This relationship has been restored. You were once deserving of wrath, but now you have found favor with God. Your peace is not just with one another, but it's with your creator himself. And what is the greatest example of that peace? What is the greatest example of that reconciliation except that we have been given access to God? That word access means that we are able to speak with him. Think about that. If you're in a moment or if you're in a season, be it today or in the future, and you begin to have that overwhelming sense of, I'm without God, I'm without hope, or God feels distant, remember his truth. That's who you were, it's not who you are now. In Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. You have found peace, not just with others, but you have been reconciled to God. He is not counting your sins, your mistakes, your brokenness against you, but rather he has reconciled you and you have access to him. He is near. That's the truth. And so you can come to him with anything and everything. Your fears, your concerns, your apprehensions, your joys, your celebrations, all of it you have been given access through the gospel, through the blood, through the cross of Jesus Christ. So we have peace, not just with one another, but peace with God. And so with with that being established, let me close by pointing to these these beautiful pictures that Paul gives us in this final paragraph. He kind of gives us two images, and both of them are very compelling to me. So he, he brings this contrast back to the forefront with this summary statement, you, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer cut off, you're no longer excluded, but now you are fellow citizens with God's uh, people and you are also members of his household. Right, so, so think of that progression. You, you were an alien, a stranger, but now you're actually a citizen. You have the intrinsic rights that you didn't experience at the beginning, but but even greater than being a citizen, you're a part of his household, right? You're a part of his family. And that's where the message really, to me, begins to hit home, because I think that's really what all of us long for and desire. I think about my youngest son, and I know many of you know his story I think about how through the bulk of the early years of his life, he understood what it meant to be a citizen, right, or he at least was a recipient of those benefits to belong to a place, to belong to a country, to belong to a community that would take care of his basic needs and did a good job of it, but what he really needed was somebody to bring him home, someone that could say, You don't just have a citizenship somewhere. You you have a family. You have a mom. You have a dad. You're our son. And that's what God has done for us. He's done more than just bring peace towards relationships. He's done more than just give us a favorable relationship with himself. He has said, you're home. You're part of my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. And that should provide a tremendous sense of comfort in the midst of uncertainty. Nothing changes that. Nothing can ever sever that kind of relationship and that bond. We are forever his children in Christ Jesus. And that needs to be a source of comfort and strength for each of us in times like these. But in addition to that, what we see is that when you're a part of someone's family, you you share in that responsibility, you share in that that privilege really to carry out God's purposes in the world. Right? He he enlists us. Essentially, Jesus' mission becomes our message, mission. His message becomes our message. That's ultimately what happens: that because we are his family, we are now going to serve his purposes. And so for, th- for this, we get this second image, we get this second metaphor. Uh, one of Paul's favorites of this building that is being constructed, right? He, he says you're being built upon this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? This this message of the covenant, this promise of God's presence, this promise of peace that has been proclaimed by Isaiah, that was mentioned by Jesus, and is now being referred to by Paul. That's the foundation upon which you stand, and you're being built together. Where Jesus is the cornerstone. <clears throat> the more literal translation here. Is capstone, and in this point in time, a capstone was often at the top of the arch. It, it kind of held the weight of the whole building, and it was all centered upon it. And it was kind of the the chief inscription that you would find. And point being that everything that God is doing in us and in this community points to Jesus. But what is happening for you and me is that we are being joined together. Right there is this work that is taking place within us. We are being laid together, brick by brick. God is forming for himself his church. Now, we are under no delusion that the church is not perfect, right? We, we, we know that. We know we make mistakes. But I want to encourage you today that though we are not perfect, God is working within us. He is building something by the way that we have been joined together and experienced this peace through him. And one of my favorite things that Paul emphasizes here is that through the construction of this building, we see that the building is on the rise and it becomes the place where God's spirit dwells. And so let me emphasize that before we close, church. The reality is, is that the church is on the rise. Right? In a time where it feels like everything in society is on the decline, let me encourage you, the church is on the rise. Nothing stops its growth, ever. Right? We are constantly being built into God's perfect plan of his people, of his kingdom. Nothing can stop that. When Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus turns to him and blesses him and says, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church to which the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so let me encourage you once again that there is no war, there is no pandemic, there is no economic collapse that can ever stop or slow the church. The church is on the rise. And the reason we know that is it's because in our togetherness that God's spirit fully dwells. We are literally the body of Christ. We become his hands and his feet. So when the world is in crisis, it is through our togetherness, it is through our Peace that we are able to come and declare to all those that need to hear it the same comfort, the same truth, the same hope that Jesus Himself offers. We become those beautiful feet that go upon the mountains and proclaim good news, that declare salvation, that declare for all those on Mount Zion that our God reigns. We are those who go and declare peace, peace to those who are near and those who are far. And so let that be our conviction, church. No matter how you feel at this moment, in the midst of this season, let me encourage you today. You're not alone. I know it may feel that way for some of you, but you're not. We are in this together because God has given us a message of peace. He is joining us together. And the more we make that our message, the more this world will get a chance to hear that no matter where they are, both near and far, they have this invitation to this indescribable peace that surpasses understanding. Let that be our message today and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful. For your church and god we are grateful that in the midst of so much uncertainty we can sense and see and feel that the church is on the rise so let us do our part father let us rise up and declare this message of peace father help us to look beyond all these things that so easily divide us let us look beyond race ethnicity culture, age, gender, all these different things, God, and find that commonality that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Let us find comfort and hope, God, in those moments where you feel distant. Let us remind ourselves that we have been brought near, and we have this beautiful access to you. And may that be the message that we proclaim, no matter the season, no matter the circumstance. May we rise up and declare peace to all who are far and all who are near to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.